Uh, This is the second week of our series, Scandal in Bethlehem. And so uh, this whole series, we're just kind of picking apart the Christmas story and looking at it and realizing, you know what? These are real people. They had real lives. There were real uh, consequences to their decisions that they were making about what was going on in their life and their experiences and things like that. And so we want to recognize that. Um, And so we're going to pick apart this thing. Last week, we talked about the shepherds and the scandal of the shepherds and what it meant for God to break through in these people's lives, in these men's lives, as they were out in their field, just minding their own business, doing their own thing, what, it mean, what did it mean for God to break into their life? And then when they went, once they had that experience with God, they took that out and they went and they shared their story. They shared their experience with God, with other people, and why that is so important and so significant that God chooses to do that in our lives. Why does God choose us? Why does God use us in that way to, to have um, an impact in the world around us? I don't know. But he does, and so we have that incredible opportunity in front of us. Um, So like I said, this is the second week of this series, and uh, this week we're going to be looking at uh, Joseph. We're going to be looking at Joseph's side of things. So we're going to go to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read this scripture here, starting with verse 18, and then uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit. So let's go there. Matthew, chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All right, so last week we went through talking about the shepherds and we just asked the question, question after question after question. What does it mean for God to break through in their lives? We're going to do the same thing again this week and we're going to do it with Joseph. And and as I look at this story, as I I try and, you know, figure out, okay, what did it mean for Joseph to be in this situation? I have to think, you know, we're we're doing Scandal in Bethlehem and if we're going to give this thing a a title, a tabloid title, it would be something like, he's still with her? Like, really? Like, can you see it in the grocery store, seeing the, in the yellow letters on the, on the blue or on the white print, and just says, he's still with her? Really? Like, he's still with her um, after all of this. Because think about the scandal that is happening here. Think about this. This, this girl, uh, Mary, this woman, Mary, uh, she's engaged, betrothed, uh, uh, pledged, whatever you want to call it, to this guy named Joseph, and she comes up pregnant. Mary is pregnant, and Joseph understands what it takes to become pregnant, and understands that he was not involved in that, right? Uh, In that whole scenario. He knows that, you're pretty sure, usually when that happens. Um, And and yet Mary is pregnant. This girl is pregnant. And so what's he going to do with this? Joseph knows he wasn't involved. uh, And then word, think about it, word would kind of start to leak out. Like Mary, she's she's pregnant. You You hear about this? That's not Joseph's baby, right? And, and we got to going through this whole thing. And, I mean, imagine, it's like, it's like Jerry Springer, like, Maury, Maury level. Like, who's the father, right? Um, but can you imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph that took place here? 
Think about this. Think about this. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it, what it looked like, but she would approach Joseph and say, hey, uh, hey, sweetie, um, uh, Joseph, hey, uh, I know we're engaged. I know, I know this thing's going to happen, but I want to let you know what's going on so, because, because we are going to be married, and so I want to let you know what's, what's happening in my life and, and just uh, explain this to you, this whole process to you. And, and, um, but listen, listen I, I've got some important news, but don't freak out, okay? Listen, if anybody ever tells you, I've got big news, but don't freak out, it's probably time to start freaking out, right? <laughs> It's probably time. But she said, hey, listen, listen, listen. It's okay. It's okay. Listen, I've got this news, um, and, and, and I, I want you to know I'm, I'm pregnant. But hey, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's not. It's, I didn't cheat on you. You know I'm not like that. I didn't go out. I didn't, I didn't sleep with another man. This baby, this baby is God's baby. Really? Really, Mary? This is, this is God's, God's baby. Hmm. Never heard of that happening before. Um, I'm sp- okay, all right, so I'm supposed to believe that. Um, you come in here and you tell me you're pregnant, but, but you're not pregnant by another man. You're pregnant by God. And uh, oh, oh, and an angel told you. Oh, okay, all right, well, that's okay, good, good, right? Listen, he, he's got to be thinking either Mary, Mary, you're crazy or you're lying, but either way, this is not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going through with this. I'm not, I'm, I, this, you know, kind of a thing, I've got to do this. Um, and so, can you feel the hurt that this would cause? Can you feel the betrayal that Joseph would feel in this whole thing that he must have experienced? And he knew what he had to do. He knew what he had to do. His dreams crushed. He knew that, that listen, I've got to move on. So he's going to divorce her, um, which is a strange thing, isn't it? They're, they're pledged. They're betrothed. They're engaged. But, but listen, in Jewish society, it's not quite like our engagement. It's like an, it's like an engagement on steroids. It's like a plus because the, the, the engagement or the betrothal process was, was actually a part of Jewish marriage. So it usually lasted about a year, um, and it was a legal agreement between the parties. So in order to break that legal agreement, there had to be a divorce. Um, they weren't married, and yet there was, there was a union of sorts in that way, all right? Um, and so... So Joseph knew what he had to do. He was going to do it according to the law. Now, actually, according to the law, it says that anybody committing adultery, and this was adultery, would have been adultery if, if Mary had stepped out on Joseph, um, that, that according to the law, that should end in a stoning. Right? She should be gotten, she should be stoned. She should be, and, and then whoever the, the male was that was involved in this would also have the same fate. Like that was what the law, the law of Moses in Leviticus, you can look it up, it says it, okay? And so that's how this should end. But Joseph, he was, he was faithful to the law, and yet, it said, and yet, he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. And so he decided he was going to divorce, he was going to do this quietly. He was going to do this quietly so that they could you know, as few people as possible would know about this thing, um, and, and they would just kind of move on. So this is, Joseph's doing this. This is his direction. That's where he's going. And then one night, Joseph has a dream, and it says, after he considered that, he had a dream, and in that dream, he had a visit from an angel. Joseph gets his own angel visit here, right? And the angel confirms Mary's story and says, it's, it's real, like, she's, she's telling you the truth, Joseph. This story, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because she is pregnant, but she's pregnant with a baby that is not from man. She's pregnant with a baby that has been given by the Holy Spirit. And this child, you should name him Jesus because this child is going to save his people from his sins or, from, or save his people from their sins. 
Don't be afraid, Joseph. Take, this, take Mary home as your wife. And so Joseph woke up, right? What was, first of all, what was his reaction when he woke up? Like, was he relieved? Like, oh, I knew it. Or was he ashamed? Man, I, oh, I should have believed her. I should have believed her. She's never lied to me before, right? Was he ashamed about, about accusing her, her of this whole thing? Um, I don't know. But the scripture says that Joseph woke up. And when he woke up, he got up. He did what the Lord commanded. He took Mary home as his wife. And he raised this son, this, this boy, this baby, as his son. What were people thought, people's thoughts of, of Joseph and Mary after that? Like, what was, did this story follow them around? This whole, like, you know, they, she was pregnant before they were married. That baby's not his. Like, did, did people, like, did people have an opinion about them and about their circumstances? Um, did it affect Joseph's career? Like, he was a carpenter. That meant people had to interact with him in a business fashion. You look at what happens when there's a scandal today, and people, uh, like, I'm, I'm thinking athletes, I'm thinking uh, actors or actresses that are, like, they have endorsements. Man, people back up from those endorsements, don't they? Think about Tiger Woods. What happened? Boom, Nike done, right? He was making millions off of that, and people are like, nope, our business, we don't want our business associated with him in that whole scandal that happened there, right? So, so was Joseph's business affected by this? People don't want to be associated with that kind of a thing. What about Joseph's family relationships? Were his family relationships affected by this whole thing? You know, we have this view of the nativity. They're out in a barn. They're out in a stable, right? Because Jesus is in the manger. They put the baby in the manger. And, and, that's, and that's where we get this thing. They're, we get the idea of this stable, of this barn, because our Western minds say, well, the text says... There was no room in the inn, therefore he was in a manger, and we just, we just like, brrr, we put the things together and we say, well, he must be in a barn. I don't really know. It doesn't say that in the text anywhere. That there was, it doesn't say anywhere that there was a stable, that there was a barn, that there was anything involved other than a manger. And when you look at the words in the scripture, when you look at the, at the Greek, the word that is usually translated in is, uh, I'm not going to say it right, but katalama, katalama. It's actually the same word that Mark and Luke use in their Gospels to talk about the upper room. So Jesus and his disciples go to the upper room. It's a guest room. It's guest quarters. It's the same thing. So it may not have been the innkeeper at the door. Oh, sorry, no vacancy, right? And the reality is that in, in those days, most of the time, there was the upper room and the guest quarters in that fashion. But the lower level of the house was often a place where there were some domesticated animals, and so there would have been a manger there. So what if Joseph and Mary ended up in this house? I, I picture it this way, that they travel to Bethlehem to do this whole census thing because they got to get counted, and they're going to, to Joseph's hometown. They're going to a place where his relatives will be, and they go to the house where they're going to be staying, and they, it says there's no room for them. It's already occupied. The guest quarters, the inn, the, the, the upper room is already occupied. So they find themselves in the bottom floor in this stable. Now, why am I even talking about this? Because the house where they found themselves was probably full of family members. So Joseph takes his pregnant, this, this pregnant girl who is not pregnant by him, he's not married to, and he takes her to the family reunion. It's essentially what's happening. Think about that. Explain that. All right. Uh, uh, explain that 
to, to grandma one more time? How does, how was this, right? What did his family think of that whole scenario? What were their opinions? And, and, and did that matter to them? I don't know. But it's a very real possibility that it looked like that rather than our nice stable with straw on the floor and things like that. Maybe there was straw on the floor. I don't know. But in all of that, Joseph stuck around, didn't he? In all of that, he stuck around. He took Mary as his wife. He raised Jesus as his son. Now think about that. He raised Jesus as his son. I will never forget holding our firstborn, Miles, for the first time, right? And it's like this with every, with every child, but with your firstborn especially, because it's the first time you've ever had a baby that is yours, put into your arms, and you look at this baby and you think, wow, there's some responsibility, right? All of a sudden, I remember, I remember looking down at Miles and just going, how am I going to raise you? Think about for Joseph, who had been told that this baby was going to be the Savior. This baby was going to save his people from his sins. And Joseph looks down at him, he's holding him going, how am I going to raise you? Like, what, what does that mean for me? Like, how am I, God, why have you given me this responsibility to have this level of, of, of um, influence in your life, Jesus, in Jesus' life? So you think you're worried about messing up your kids? Think about Joseph, right? Think about Joseph and his level of, of apprehension, about raising this child. But it says that Jesus, or excuse me, it says that Joseph accepted Jesus as his son. That's the, that's the heading on this scripture in my Bible. Joseph accepted Jesus as his son. And he raised him. As I was studying the scripture for this and asking all these questions and looking at all, the, all these details and, and trying to figure out, all right, God, where are you taking this thing? I ended up in a place that I totally did not expect. I kind of had an idea, you know, where this sermon, where this thing was going to go, and it totally took me in a different direction. The Spirit did. God took me in a different direction. Um, and really, I don't think Joseph was aware of it, but when you look at Joseph, Joseph's experience, it's really a one, two, three step process of like a faith journey, of his journey uh, in, in, in his relationship to Jesus. And so we're going to look at this and what it means for Joseph, and I don't, again, I don't think Joseph knew that what was going on. I don't think he would have recognized it as this at all, but it's a great metaphor for us as we look at it. So it says in verse 19 that Joseph was faithful to the law. It says he was faithful to the law, and because he was faithful to the law, he was going, and yet he wanted to divorce her quietly. He wanted to be respectful of her. So he was faithful to the law. He was faithful to his understanding of what he had been taught. And that according to the law and the prophets, according to, to what the religious leaders of his day said that God was doing in their, in their midst, this was how he was supposed to live. And when his fiancée revealed that she was pregnant, according to this religious establishment of the day, this is what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to divorce her, supposed to put her away, um, and he wanted to do it quietly. He was going to end the relationship. He was going to divorce Mary because she'd been unfaithful, because that's what it said that, she sh that should be done. That's one of the grounds for divorce, right? But then God steps in. Just like the shepherds, God broke through. God broke through into Joseph's life. Remember how, how, how he did that? It says that Joseph had full intentions of doing this thing, and then he had a dream. 
And this wasn't a regular dream. Like, this was, this was a dream. Do you understand? This was, I have it in bold and in italics and capitalized in my, in my notes. It was a dream. Like, this was huge. An angel tells Jesus, or tells Joseph, that, that he should take Mary home as his wife. As his wife. That, that he should raise this illegitimate son um, as his own, or his seemingly illegitimate son. And Joseph has, after he has this dream, he woke up and he did what God said. He did what the Lord had commanded him. The scripture says that Joseph woke up. Joseph woke up. He was having this dream and he woke up. But he didn't just wake up physically, okay? Yes, he woke up physically, but he woke up, I believe that Joseph woke up spiritually. Something had changed for him in his experience. Something was different. Verse 24 says that when Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord commanded. And what did the Lord command him? The Lord commanded him to take Mary home as his wife and to raise this child, Jesus, as his own. But Joseph, before he could do that, he had to wake up. He had to wake up. When Joseph woke up, it changed everything for him. Think about how his life was going to change. It changed his priorities. No longer was he worried about what people were going to think. No longer was he worried about saving face anymore. I'm going to put her away quietly. We're going to do this, but we're going to do it quietly. We're going to be respectful about this whole thing. He wasn't worried about that anymore. He wasn't, he wasn't worried about what the religious community thought about him. He wasn't worried about what his priests, what his family were thinking about him. It, that wasn't his priority anymore. It changed for him. It changed his financial situation. Again, I believe that people don't want to be associated with a scandal. And so, oh, oh, you got, mm, you got that table from Joseph. This is, this is the Joseph of, of Joseph and Mary. Oh, mm. you want to be associated with that? No, I believe it changed his financial situation. His life, livelihood as a carpenter. It changed physically the place where he lived. We read on later that, that, you know, King Herod is upset that there's this new king in town and he sets out to kill all these babies. Joseph and Mary escape to Egypt. Do you think Joseph ever in his life planned on living in Egypt? I don't think so. It changed his future in, in, in ways that I believe Joseph could have never possibly understood. Joseph woke up and he did what the Lord commanded. And when you wake up, when you have a spiritual awakening, it changes things in your life. It's a lot like, a lot like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It says this, when he came to his senses, I love it. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. It changes something. It changes the course of your life. That son was, was, was living in, in the pit with the pigs and feeding the pigs the pods, and he just wanted to eat. And listen, he came to his senses. It changed things. He went home. He went home to his father. It changes things. It changes how you live your life. It changes how you see your friends, how you see your coworkers, how you see your enemies. It changes things. The prodigal son came to his senses and he went back to his father because he came to his senses. Joseph woke up. Joseph, he was living in a, he was living in a haze of, of law 
of a sacrificial system, and, and he was doing it with the best of his intentions, wasn't he? Joseph had sincere intentions. He was going to do the right thing. He was going to do the good thing that he was supposed to do. He wanted to be faithful to the law. And, and he was a good guy. He didn't want to do it in a way that was going to shame Mary. He had the best of intentions. And he was doing what he was raised in. He was treating Mary respectfully while also looking out for his own interest. He had the best of intentions. But God let him know the good intentions weren't good enough. And our good intentions aren't good enough. Living, living with the best of intentions has taken a lot of people to hell. And I don't say that glibly. I don't say that lightly. It does not bring me joy to say that at all. I'm not somebody who, who's going to stand up here and rail against people. But good intentions are not good enough. It's the truth. Matthew 7 Verse 13, it says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? And then I will tell him plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wake up. Living with good intentions. Living a good life is not good enough. Depending on good intentions doesn't cut it. Doing good deeds doesn't save you. Being spiritual enough doesn't save us. Simply living according to the, quote, laws and traditions that were handed down to us doesn't cut it. We have to wake up. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only way that we have hope. And it has to be personal, and it has to be real. We have to wake up. Joseph woke up, and when Joseph woke up, everything changed for him. One of the first things that I see that, that changed for Joseph when he woke up was that Joseph was no longer faithful to the law. See, Joseph was faithful to the law. He was going to do what the law said because that's what was right. That was, that, was the, that was the thing. But listen, when Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord commanded him. He did what, what God had commanded him to do. And what God had commanded him to do was to take Mary home as his wife, not to divorce her, not to put her to death like the law said. So Joseph wasn't faithful to the law anymore in the way that the law had been interpreted. The angel of the Lord told Joseph to take this baby, to take Jesus home as his son. And the, and the angel of the Lord said to name him Jesus because he was going to save the people from their sins. When Joseph woke up and he understood who Jesus was and what Jesus was there to do, what he was there to accomplish... He realized you can't have Jesus saving people from their sins and the law saving people from their sins as well. You can't recognize who Jesus is, believe who God says he is, understand what his purpose was to save his people and also be faithful to the law. Because we have to understand that the law was created to keep people in right relationship with God. 
The law was the set of rules that if you lived by, if you did these things, it was given by God, and if you did these things that God, this list of things, then you were good. You were in right relationship with God. If you at any point failed any one of those rules, you were out of relationship with God. And out of relationship with God is where it was dark and where there's is crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? It's out. And he said, and, 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 and that's what the law was created for. That's what the law said. And, and there was involved in that with a sacrificial system that said, you know what? If you do any of these things or you don't do any of these things and you fall out of relationship with God, there's sacrifices that can be made to bring you back into right relationship with God. And the angel of the Lord said that Jesus was going to save his people from his sins, that Jesus was going to be the sacrifice to bring people back in right relationship with God. See, God fixed the system permanently. He fixed the system permanently because if you, if you have a law, if you have these sets of rules and regulations and the behavioral code of conduct that you're following and you fail it, and you fail it, and you live it, and you fail it, and you live it, and you fail it. And then Jesus, God sent Jesus, and Jesus said, listen, this law, this whole system, it's been good. It's been great. It's kept us in right relationship, but I'm ending it. I'm doing a new thing, and I'm making the sacrifice once and for all. And, and, and Joseph recognized that. He realized that. It says that he accepted Jesus as his son. He accepted Jesus for who he was, and he couldn't serve both the law and understand that Jesus was going to be the Savior for his people at the same time. That he recognized that Jesus was to save his people, not the law, not the law of right living. That Jesus was going to save it. And Galatians 3.24 says this, So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. So the law, the Old Testament rules, the regulations, it was a good thing. It, it was our guardian. It protected us. It was a good system. But Christ came that we might be justified by faith because now Christ has come. You cannot be faithful to the understanding of a law of right living will save you from your sins and be faithful to the understanding that Jesus saves you from your sins at the same time. It's not possible. It's either one or the other. Either Jesus saves or the law saves, not both. And Joseph believed who Jesus was, and it changed everything for him. He was no longer faithful to the law. Romans 8, 3 says that for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What law could not do, God did in Jesus. Because the law depended on flesh. The law depended on us to meet it. God did in Jesus, he, he, he finished it, he completed it, and he said, this is it, it's done. You don't have to depend on your flesh anymore, you depend on me. The law cannot save you because you can't uphold it. Jesus saves you. And when Jesus saves you, you are not bound to the law anymore, the Jewish law. And now, now some of you would say, well, of course I'm not bound to the Jewish law, I'm a Christian. Of course. And I could stand up here and talk about Jewish law for a long time. But what is the law? Let's simplify it. What is the law? The law is a code of conduct. It is a, it is a list, it is a set of behavioral expectations given by God for people to live by. And if you live this way, you're good, you're right, perfect. If you don't, well, tough luck. That's the law. And most of us aren't going aren't to live our daily lives according to the Old Testament law. 
And if you are, if you're trying, well, you're not doing a very good job of it. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there we're not doing. A lot of stuff in there we are doing that's, that we shouldn't be doing, according to the law. But I think the majority of us do tend to live by a law of good intentions, by a law of good deeds. We live in the understanding that God will love me more, God will accept me more if, if I do enough good things, if I do more good things than bad, that my behavior of good deeds, my righteous living is impressing God, that somehow there's a plus-minus system, and that when I do a good thing, I get points with God. And when I do a bad thing, oh, he takes them away. And somehow we're just trying to live in this, in this, in this world of like, well, God, I'm just going to let the balance be right in the end, Right? And we may not say that, but that's how we practically live our lives. That's how we live out our days, hoping that we've done enough good things. But listen, that's just another law. That's just another law. It's not a written code that's been given by God, but it's our own law that we're impressing upon ourselves. That's finding righteousness. That's finding right relationship with God based on my behavior, based on the flesh. And what the flesh couldn't do, God did. You can't have both the law and Jesus. As modern American Christians, we love the law. You will find Old Testament law plastered everywhere in Christians' houses. And and if you have it, I'm not throwing a rock at you. I'm just saying, that's not my law. Those are not my commandments. Somebody gave us one time a a beautiful handmade uh, uh, picture frame framed really nicely. Um, It was beautiful calligraphy with gold leaf and stuff of the Ten Commandments. And my wife and I talked about it, and I said, I can't hang that in our house because that's not my law. I've been set free from that. As Jesus enters my life, as Jesus reforms me, then my life will conform to those things But that law in itself is not a list that I'm going down and checking off. Yep, nope, I didn't murder anybody today. Nope, I didn't commit adultery today. And listen, when Jesus came and he he said, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He said that himself. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. You see that? He completed it. He finished it in that way. So I'm not a big Ten Commandments guy. I understand there is moral and there is purpose in that way, but if we're using it as a checklist as to whether we've got God's approval, it's not me. I'm not there. Don't replace one law with another. Jesus means, Jesus means freedom from the law, whether that means a, a Jewish system of earning your way or whether that means your own self-imposed way of earning the right relationship with God. Is it time for us to wake up? Is it time for you to wake up and quit playing religion? To quit trying to fulfill the law of good works? Law is empty religion. Religion is depending on a good enough system. You are not and you never will be good enough. It's truth. Religion is doing things out of obligation and guilt. God doesn't want you to do anything because, well, I have to. Mm -mm. that's lukewarm. That's lukewarm, and Jesus says, I spit that out of my mouth. Religion is is serving on enough boards, enough committees, enough teams at church, enough doing enough charity work so that other people, including the pastor, will be impressed 
by your dedication to good work, God doesn't care that you impress other people. God doesn't want you to follow his religion. Think about that. God doesn't want you to follow his religion. He wants to have a relationship with you. And as I look at Joseph, I see that he woke up, that he changed his commitment from the law to Jesus, and Joseph accepted Jesus. He accepted Jesus for who he was, for what he came for, that this was the Son of God, that this was the Savior. Joseph woke up. He realized that he couldn't serve the law and accept Jesus for who he was and what he was supposed to accomplish. He accepted Jesus. He accepted a relationship with Jesus. For Joseph, it was a son, a father-son relationship, but he accepted that. Because if he didn't accept who Jesus was, well, then he was right back where he started and Mary, there was this illegitimate son. But he accepted Jesus for who he was, the Son of God, by way of the Holy Spirit. God's after a relationship with you. He is after a relationship with you. And a relationship can only flourish when you see, when you understand, when you accept when you believe in Jesus for who he is, that he is the son of God and that he fulfilled the law. That is why he came, to complete it. And even though he completed the law, even though he finished it perfectly, he still paid the penalty in the end for not. And that penalty was for us. It was not for him. He took the penalty for failing to finish the law. Jesus did it for us. That baby that Joseph held in his arms, he was the start of it is finished. The baby was the beginning of it is finished. I'm telling you this morning, it's finished. It is finished. It is fulfilled. For you and me, the struggle of being good enough, it's over. But we have to accept Jesus for who he was, for who he is You have to accept that he died for you on the cross. And you have to realize that that is an all-in decision. Jesus, or Joseph, accepted Jesus as his son, and it changed changed everything. Changed everything. Accepting Jesus for who he is, it's not just an intellectual decision. It's not just a thing we recognize up here. When we accept Jesus for who he was, who he is, for the penalty that he paid, the thing he did on the cross and through the resurrection, that's a a heart decision. That's an all-in decision. It affects everything. It changes everything. Accepting who Jesus is and his sacrifice for you means more than accepting him as a part of your life. Hey, that's good. I'll jump on that train. Now let me keep going on the things that I want to do. Doesn't that work? Well, it doesn't work that way. It means giving him your hopes and your dreams and saying, God, what is your will? What is your plan? And where do I fit in what you're doing? Not God, look at what I'm doing. Come bless it. I want to jump in on what you're doing, God. It means looking at my life and it means asking God, what are the areas of my life that are not pleasing to you? Because just because it's finished and our righteousness is found in God doesn't mean that, that we don't sin. Absolutely we sin but we're not finding our, our righteousness. We're not finding in whether, whether we're approved by God in our behavior, 
We're approved by God. But choosing to live a life that is surrendered to Jesus means looking at my life and saying, God, am I pleasing to you? I'm pleased to you as a person, but is my behavior pleasing to you? There is still change that happens from within. There's still change that happens in our life. Your salvation is not up for grabs. That's righteousness and law, whether you're good enough. But when we understand who God is and that God ultimately has what's best for us in mind, we want to do things his way. So this is not an excuse to say, well, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Paul said, no, should we we sin more so that grace abounds? No. But my life in Christ says that I'm already approved in him. So I want to ask this morning, I want to ask a question. And I want everybody to seriously think about it. Have you accepted Jesus for who he is and what he's done? Have you accepted that he came for you? That he came for me? Have you accepted that? Have you ha- do you have that relationship yet? Or have you been putting, putting your faith in, in, in a law, whether that's Old Testament law, whether that's that self-imposed law of, of good deeds, the good code, Are you tired of living in a cycle of living up to the standard and failing, living up to the standard and failing and questioning, God, am I good enough for you anymore? Are you tired of that? I want you to know this morning that there's freedom from it. His name is Jesus, and he came as a baby 2,000 years ago. There is freedom from that. He fulfilled it. He completed it on our behalf because he knew there's no way that we could do it. We can't do it on our own. And when we come to him and when we ask for forgiveness of our sins, we're asking, God, please. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. He is faithful to forgive. Never once has he said, no. He is faithful to forgive. And then we're found in him. So again, have you accepted Jesus for who he is? And for what he has done for you. If not, today is the day. Today's the day. Why don't you all come on back up to your feet. Right now, is there anybody who's tired of earning it? Even as believers... Even as believers, those of us that have given our lives to Jesus, we have a relationship with Jesus, but we continue to live our life as if when we mess up, God's going to, well, I don't know. I don't know about you anymore, Justin. Even as believers, we fall into that trap. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we do, still do things that are not pleasing to God, but our righteousness is found in Jesus. Our right relationship is found in Jesus. He's already paid for that. He's already made that correct that relationship right. And so when we sin and when we fall, we do things that are not pleasing to God, we take them to God and we ask for his forgiveness. And then we get up and we move forward knowing that we're already approved in him. Is there anybody this morning 
I'm talking right now. Who needs to move forward with that? Who needs to find freedom from that? If you've never accepted who Jesus was in this way, if you've never found freedom from the law, freedom from, from trying to be good enough, I want that for you right now. I want that for you this morning. Because God doesn't think more or less of you based on your actions. He already proved that by dying for you. That's why Jesus came. That's how much he loved you. He's never going to love you less than he, than he loved you then. He's never going to love you more than he loves you now. You are loved. You are approved. You are not perfect. But we find our righteousness in Jesus, not in the things that we do or don't do. Romans 7, 6 says this, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way or the written code. We've been released. We can find freedom this morning in this. We're going to go back into some worship. And that means worshiping in however you choose. However you I want you to feel free. There's communion stations at the back. There's people up here that are going to be praying for you, want to pray for you. If that means coming to the altar and kneeling right here and praying, do that. We want you to be free to worship, but we want to go back into a time of thanking God for what he's done already, for the sacrifice that he made both in coming as a baby in human form and the sacrifice that he made 30 years later, 33 years later on the cross for us that ultimately said it's finished. It's over. It's completed. I have finished it. Now come find your freedom in Jesus. I want you to move at any point during this next couple of songs and, and um, let's just worship.